The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, stop converting this stereo MP3 to mono and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 568 with guests Jackson Harper and Chris Hardy, recorded live at the Norwegian Developers Conference Wednesday, June 16, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, ENR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who went all the way to Norway to have lunch with Billy Hollis, Carl Franklin. Without any pain, gotta get enough points to finally land me a place. Hey, Richard. Hi, sir. How are you? We're in Norway. We are. And we're going to go see some fjords, I think. I'm hoping we, that works out. But i got to tell you, the best thing about IDC is the ADD room. Tell us about that. So they made an overflow room here. There's seven session rooms, and they're, they're good size. So some of them are, are 100, some of them are up to four or 500 people. But they have this overflow room, which is good for about 500 people, but it's only one. And all of the, this one room has seven projectors in it, one for each session room, and then... Uh, you get a headset that has a switcher on it so you can actually listen to any session. So it's an overflow room for everybody. But I call it the ADD room because I'm watching all seven sessions in it. At the same time. Oh, absolutely. Just hop, I mean, Chris Sells and I sitting beside each other going one to the next, one to the next. Although my favorite part was about 10 minutes before the session start, watching seven different presenters get ready to present. All those different styles, all that different fidgeting, you know. That's, uh, that's epic. Well, they didn't, I guess these are the kind of things that entertain me, actually. But now, now... I need seven screens. I've got to set up a rig that has seven screens. That's not even funny. Well, I need one in my place now. This is going to be a requirement. Seven. You don't. How many you have now? Four. Five. Okay. Well, anyway, we are sitting here in a sort of a makeshift fishbowl at NDC. They put up this sort of. Uh, I don't know. It's like a plexiglass temporary room with no roof on it. Yeah, it's a people aquarium. 
Yeah, I thought I thought you know they said when I came in here that we should just hang out in here all day, but it's a little table and it's not really conducive to working. And I also feel like I'm in a zoo here. Yeah, well, I mean, we we did something like this at TechEd some time ago. They had the people aquarium off the side of the stage and so forth, and it's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, I don't know I could spend that much time in here, and and I can hear a little a bit of an echo from each other. Yeah, there's a because it's a a curved room. All right. Well, anyway, let's get to our guests. Our guests uh, who are here speaking at the conference are Jackson Harper and Chris Hardy. Hi, Jackson. Hi there. Thank you for having me, guys. You're welcome. And hi, Chris. Hi, guys. Yeah, so we're talking mono. And Jackson, you're on the mono team, are you not? Yeah, I've been on the mono team for about uh, seven or eight years now. I started out working on the assembler, worked on wind forms, worked on web forms. And right now, I guess I'm not really working on mono. I'm working on moonlight. That's and I just got chills when you said eight years because we forget. I mean, .NET's been around 10 years now, and Mono is on you know, comparable age. So do you work for Novell? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, right after Novell acquired Zimian was when I got hired. So Okay. And what is the state of Mono, if you can so say? It's hard to really point, pin down what the state of Mono is. Um, we grab bits and pieces from what has just been released. So we do we do try to do a lot of the new cool stuff like C Sharp 4.0 and mm-hmm. Link and things like that. We have those done, but then we'll be missing stuff from older pieces like WPF. So does anybody care about Windows Forms development with Mono anymore? I think some people do. Uh, supposedly, I'm told that there are these people out there in the enterprise that use it. I've never seen any of them, though. And, and I love this. You guys, you guys get to pick and choose what you want to implement from the whole .NET stack. So you've got the latest language features, but you're still missing certain pieces of the, the framework. Although to say, oh, yeah, we haven't quite done WPF, that's a huge set of classes. Yeah, we'll get to that. It is a huge set of classes, and I think that's why we haven't done it, because it's just an intimidating amount of work. And, and you're working with limited resources. Like developer-wise, how many developers are working on Mono? Um, well, it depends. It's always changing because we are an open source project, so we have yeah. open source contributors. But from Novell, there's uh, 20 to 30. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of people, actually. But, yeah, it's good. It's a tough... Just give you an idea of how big the framework actually is. It, you know, trying to implement it all. I, I don't envy you guys. So tell us about Moonlight. Where are we with that? And Moonlight, of course, is the Silverlight implementation under Mono. Right. With Moonlight, it's a little bit different because we are... We are doing supported release versions. So we have a released version that should be identical to Silverlight 2. And then after that, we're doing kind of the pick and choose thing. And we're kind of grabbing bits of 4. We are targeting 3. But it looks like we'll probably just skip 3 altogether and try and get all of 4 out. So okay. we've got 1, we've got 2, and we've got you know the cool stuff in 4. Now, most of the time when I think about mono implementations, I think about an alternative to ASP.NET. That this is, I can run on, on my, uh, my Linux boxes, something that essentially is, is ASP.NET. I really don't think of it deployed to the workstation at all. That's, that's where I see it as being the most useful. And that's what one of my talks was on today. It was mm-hmm. using Mono on Linode and using it on EC2. Because right. with EC2, obviously, it's cheaper than running Windows on EC2. And this is about the Windows license cost is the issue here. Right. Well, with EC2, they actually charge, when you create an instance, you get to choose your operating system. Right. And they charge you a little bit more for Windows than for Linux. Right. So 
if you know if you're running a thousand instances or something that will add up quite quickly mm-hmm. um, in terms of it being on the workstation it's hard to really gauge because we don't really see people's workstations people just download mono and they use it and so we don't always know what people are using it for are there any um go-to sites that you wave as your you know flagship sort of these go see the go see this application or download this application written in mono works really well maybe Um, it's a website maybe it's a client side well probably the most extensive application that runs on mono is mono develop that's our our IDE, Visual Studio-like IDE. Okay. Um, That's probably the biggest one. And then on the Linux desktop, there's Banshee, which is our music player. There's Mm. Tomboy, which is a note-taking app. Mm. And there's F-Spot, which is for organizing photos. And those, almost everyone that uses Linux has probably touched those. And those are all using the Windows form stack? No, those are actually using GTK. So they're they're bound to the the Linux version of Windows forms. I see. That, well, that's what I mean, the mono version of Linux forms. But they're specifically oh, no. Linux, that's what you're saying. Right, yeah. So it's it's GTK, which is just an alternative to WinForms. So we're not using, like, system.windows.forms. Oh, I see. We're using GTK. Which is so what happened toolkit. to system.windows.forms? It's still out there. Uh, I worked on it for quite a while. It actually works pretty well. Um, one of the hardest, the biggest problems that we have with WinForms is just finding, like, you know, applications to go out there and run. There, there's not, it didn't seem like a ton of people using it or releasing applications mm. out there on the web, but supposedly there are these people behind firewalls living in the enterprise running these <laughs> WinForms apps, and they really need system Windows form support. Okay. Supposedly. You know, I, the, there's another side of this, and I'm not an anti-Linux guy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's this question of how many Linux desktops are there out there really, and it's another another one we hard number to know. Well, maybe you're thinking in the enterprise. Well, I, I, at all. I'm, I wouldn't want to even narrow the scope. Just show me the desktops. When we, Until we have the desktops, you can't talk about the apps. Right. And that's something that's almost impossible to know because obviously Linux is free, so people are right. just downloading it. And it's even hard for us to tell how many people are using Mono because they don't just download it from us. A lot of them it comes bundled with their operating system. Right. So there will be thousands of people or millions of people on Ubuntu using Mono. And as far as our web stats go, that was just one download. To- uh, are there a lot of projects, open source projects using Mono out there? And I'm saying Mono now, but I've never said Mono before in my life. <laughs> well, but uh, regarding the pronunciation, it is Spanish for monkey. So I think okay. it kind of depends on your accent. Okay. Too. Yeah, I, will, I, I think always- you can get away with either. I, okay, yeah, I always thought of it as, you know, the opposite of stereo. You know, <laughs> that's what I thought. Like one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so so is there a place where we can go uh, if we install Mono? Is there a place where we can go and check out the open source projects that have been built with it? There's not really a, an app store or anything like yeah. that. Um Probably the best place would be the Mono website has, you know, some sort of case study yeah. type things. Okay. So do you think Moonlight is where the future of Mono development is going? Uh, like the, the significant effort? Yeah, there there has been a fair amount of effort on there. Like, like I said before, we have maybe 30 people and uh, maybe eight or so of those people are on Moonlight. Hmm. Um, 
So there's been a, a big push there. Obviously, we're trying to stay compatible right. with, with you know, Silverlight. Yep. So there's been a big push to keep up. And then we also see it as a useful platform on the desktop. And like you were saying before, WPF is a huge thing. Right. Well, we're saying maybe you can use Silverlight on the desktop. Even we have a version that runs outside of the sandbox. So you can mm-hmm. write a full desktop application, use Silverlight, you know, use XAML to design your GUI and stuff like that, but run outside of the sandbox so it can still do useful things. So and that's not the same implementation as the out-of-browser support in Silverlight 3, then? That's something totally different? Right, right. But it's essentially the same feature? Essentially, except um, it does allow you to run outside the sandbox, so you know you could delete files in your home directory. Oh, so, or, it's, so it's more like full trust Exactly, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So more like Silverlight 4. I guess so. Well, that yeah. uh, Silverlight Four has that feature. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, elevated trust. Yeah. Although uh, Brian Noyes sent me an email a while back reminding me that it's not truly full trust. That's that's it's extended trust. They have more trust, but there's still some limitations in Silverlight Four. As as soon as I can format my C drive, I'm happy. Yeah. Well, I don't know that you can actually do that, but and I'm being facetious. That that was that was Just why in I was case confused. You're that was why I was confused was because I was pretty sure that you can elevate trust, but it's not, you know, do anything you want. Yeah, trust. it's not fully, you know, anything you want. It's, it's still somewhat protected. But, you know, what's exciting to me about Moonlight is the idea of bringing XAML to more desktops. Because I think that XAML is very compelling, irrespective of the technology. It's a great way to describe UIs. It's, a, it's another way of thinking about it. But we still get back to this, how many Linux desktops have we got kind of problem here? In terms of... Val- valuing well utilizing moonlight, moonlight. Right. like why would i work in moonlight if uh, if i don't have any desktops to call to right exactly if i'm uh, if i'm building a silverlight application today i can choose to use silverlight 4 or if i want to hit everything i could go down to silverlight 2 and use mono well if you're if you're building a web application today and you want to just target silverlight 4 that's fine it like you said there's there's obviously not as many people using moonlight out there and you can probably get your app up and running with what we've got. And if it doesn't work, we can probably get it working pretty mm-hmm. quickly. So that's the advantage of it being open source. In fact, if you wanted to, you could write your app, say, hey, this doesn't run on Moonlight. What's wrong here? Go fix it, commit it, and people would then have a fixed version. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com Telerik. You know, there are things in, in uh, Windows only that, like RIA services, that make Silverlight really compelling for accessing data that that aren't there in the stack too so i wonder how many projects are being built you know to target silverlight 2 and using moonlight versus we're just going to build a separate moonlight application that may have less features or something like that fork the code 
Yeah, I doubt very many people are saying, hey, let's go write a Moonlight a website yeah. for Moonlight. But people are saying, let's write one for Silverlight. And then someone else in the office might say, hey, we can't do that. Yeah, It's not going to work on Linux. And then you can say, well, yeah, it is going to work on Linux yeah. because of Moonlight. And I think that's that's probably the advantage. You don't want to write a cross-platform application that... Although you guys are still at the Silverlight 2 stage, isn't your real strength at that point the whole streaming media, um, the multimedia kind of options that rather than the, the developmental model. I, I, there wasn't very many people building CRUD apps in Silverlight 2 either. Right, and it looks like that's probably going to be where you get the most value from Silverlight is basically things like the Olympics player watching right. video online yeah. is really all people want for Silverlight in a lot of cases. Um, so that works. And like, like I was talking about before, we try and get the big important things working, and right. that's working. People were able to watch the Olympics using Moonlight. Wow, that's cool. And so it supports H.264 and on the video codecs of the day? Uh, well, regarding the codecs, we, those are actually compiled by Microsoft. So when you install Moonlight, you don't get the codecs right away. Right. Uh, you can run your Silverlight app, and then eventually you're going to hit a page that requires the codecs, and it will say, hey, do you want to download the codecs? Click here. So it works just the same way as it does in, on Windows then? Exactly, yeah. Fantastic. So, Chris, tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself to us. Hi, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I work in uh, Manchester, and actually I'm an ASP.NET developer uh, doing MVC work for a web agency in Manchester okay. uh, called Great Fridays. Uh, and I spend pretty much all the time outside of work uh, working on Monotouch and iPhone development for, uh, with C Sharp. Okay, so the big question on everybody's mind is, didn't Apple essentially drive a stake through the heart of uh, Monotouch when they announced you could only uh, develop for the iPhone with their tools? So I, th- I think what Apple did was they drove a stake into the heart of every developer thinking, why are you saying such a thing? You know, you want to encourage developers yeah. to write for your platform. And they're essentially saying, yeah, no, we don't to want to say you. we were all puzzled. At yeah, I, th- I think everyone was. Um, and I think it was clear from what came after that was the fact that uh, Steve Jobs wrote an open letter to Adobe and saying, why are we not having Flash right. on there? I think that kind of reinforces the fact that those changes are more about uh, CS5 supporting iPhone development and dumping yeah. Flash onto the device, essentially. That, those moves brought a whole new meaning to the word sandbox. Yeah. Like my sandbox and you can't play in it. Yes, yeah. So in, in terms of, of Monotouch... Um, I've not heard of anyone have any apps rejected post the uh, post signing the agreement with the new uh, terms of service in there. Um, so I haven't heard anyone say, you know, my app's been rejected because it uses Monotouch. Yeah, much less actually taking all the Monotouch apps that are already up there and pulling them down. Yeah. Although Apple seems to have no compunction doing that. You're hearing about folks getting apps pulled that were already previously published. Like. It's got to be a scary world out there when you're not really. There's only one way to publish an iPhone app right now, and they seem a little fickle at times. Yeah, I mean, the best way to make sure you're safe is, you know, if you're building an app, try and do it in HTML5 and stay away from the curated app store. Which, right, give which, up the curated app store. That's yeah. an interesting part of you um, know, is that where we're going to end up? Yeah, and I mean, you've got you've got just as much risk as writing an Objective C app as you do a Monotouch app. Sure. 
Well, as soon as we get to this sort of reality part here where Apple reserves the right to take an app that's already been published, already generated revenue, and say, yeah, no, you have to go away now. Yeah. Well, it would be a a, a nice world if HTML5 existed and everybody was supporting it in the right way. If if, if you're uh, going to write an iPhone app, you're going to focus it just for the iPhone. So using HTML5, you're not going to be focusing on supporting all browsers you're going to go for you know mobile safari right so in that in that sense of html5 it'll work great it's it's the whole talk of html5 that works on every browser which is a which is well, another conversation we've I never think. had a version of html that actually did that well, ever. exactly yeah right? so why would we start now yeah there's no it's, need to it's pretty close it's pretty yeah. close to say better uh, than it used to be yeah so i think so i think even even if you uh there's a few options with Monotouch. So even if you don't want to put it on the App Store, you can always uh, do ent- enterprise deployment right. and ad hoc deployment. So that essentially means it's not going to be for public consumption. But if you've got an enterprise and you want the enterprise to use an app you developed in-house, then Apple can't stop you from, from uh, giving that to people using Monotouch. Well, that's quite interesting. So, so using Monotouch is... If, if nothing else, one way that you can get an iPhone application published without going through the whole process. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, enterprise deployment is something that Apple supports uh, fully uh, with Objective-C apps as well. All right, um, so this is something I didn't understand. So, yeah. so there's a whole other publishing thing that doesn't require the, the jumping through hoops that, uh, you know, for, for going in the App Store. Yeah, there's, st- there's still hoops that you have to jump through. Um, but it's that you have to be an iPhone developer, so you have to pay yeah. the $99 right. to, uh, to say you're going to build apps. Uh, and then you have to sign them as well, and you have to download certificates from okay. Apple. But in terms of allowing apps, and you can put whatever app you want, so right. they're not going to limit you that way. Yeah, it disconnects you from the sales engine. Yes. It's just, it, it's just a distribution mechanism at this point. Exactly. And the, and the big strange thing with Monotouch is you're developing in C Sharp still. You're exactly. working in the language you know. Yeah. Just with a bunch of libraries that you're not as familiar with, but it you know, helps you down the path. Yeah. So you've got the, you've got the uh, .NET framework on there, albeit a, uh, it's a, technically it's a superset of uh, the Silverlight uh, .NET, um, but with stuff taken out, which doesn't fit on the iPhone and stuff added in which didn't uh, be shipped with Silverlight. So. Well, forgive me for my ignorance about iPhone development, but sure. what, uh, what is stopping me from publishing an enterprise application and just allowing whoever I want to be able to access it? So you have to, I think with uh, enterprise, you basically have to uh, get everyone's UUID, so a unique uh, ID for an iPhone. And then you create a profile which says this person in my enterprise is allowed to run the run the application. So Isn't you, that all done over the web? Uh, previously, it's not done over the web. Uh, so you have to physically get the UUID, enter it into a website, and create a profile. I think they're doing over the air uh, deployment now uh, with the new iPhone uh, four operating system. So, so I guess what I'm saying is, what's stopping you from selling an app that way? Uh, because you have to jump through the hoops in terms of saying you're you're a company and you have over I think it's like 500 employees, so you have to prove that it's for for the company, it's signed for the company, and uh, it's not an easy way of just allowing okay. anyone to install. So it. they actually do have some security and checking in place. Yeah, sure they, they not- don't check your application; they just check the application can run on a on a device. 
yeah, this is an interesting little dance here as to what we can do, can't do yeah. to, to try and control this. But I guess it may, in an enterprise model where you want to make the iPhone uh, an, owned by the business, kind of you take this and it does certain things for yep. you, this works. Yeah. But it's got to be a certain size, too. Like I said, 500 licenses. I think it's 500 for, you have to be a company of over 500 users uh, or 500 employees. To, to qualify for the enterprise. Oh, okay. The other option is doing an ad hoc release, which is you've got about 100 UUIDs that you can create a profile for, and then you can give that out to 100 people of your choosing. And the UUID is essentially a hardware ID for your iPod device? Yeah. so it's, it's linked to a, to a single device, so not a single person. Um, okay. So it's not the best way of distributing it. This is, this is if Apple, say, on the App Store no way to monitor right this is a way of getting your app uh to people but it's obviously not the best way and you said to reiterate what you said before so far apple isn't rejecting uh submissions to the app store that were built with monotouch that's correct yeah no i've not heard anyone say my app's been rejected because it uses monotouch but you have heard people say it has been accepted and it uses monotouch yep there's a there's a hmm. few uh, uh new ones there's actually a ndc 2010 uh, iPhone app, which is written in Monotouch by a really? guy called uh, Alex York. It's uh, great to download and, and check out what sessions are on, and you can pick your, your favorite session as well. No so, uh, so that was, I think that was done after the um, after the agreement had been signed. So that's that's an example of an app that had been developed and is under the new agreement and uses Monotouch and has been approved. So. Uh, anything? I'm downloading it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there goes Carl off to download it. Uh, anything to talk about from Monotouch's perspective for the iPad? Are things much different? Uh, in terms of iPad development and iPhone development, they were very similar. I mean, the fact that when they released the operating system for the iPad, they just called it iPhone 3.2. Right. Uh, so it's it's basically the same. A few new classes, but it it runs in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the the iPad development stuff was interesting because when it first got announced and they said the SDK is out, I was like, ah, oh, okay, I guess I have to do some Objective C stuff now because Monotouch would have to carry on supporting it. Yeah, they'll have you. you now you got to wait for yeah, uh, Novel exactly. to do the changes to Monotouch. How, how long is that going to take? Right. And then 24 hours after that SDK had been released, this is even before I downloaded it myself. Uh, Monotouch officially supported iPad nice. development, and then you could run your Monotouch app on the iPad, and, and that was supported even before I downloaded the SDK myself. And we never clarified this when we talked about Monotouch before, but this is not a free library like Mono is. This That's is correct. actually something you buy from Novell. Yeah, so it's, no, it's not an open source project. It right. does uh, leverage a lot of the open source project stuff like uh, Mono Developers was mm-hmm. talking about earlier. So you develop your apps in Mono Develop, but it uses Monotouch as a way of... Uh, Binding against Objective C libraries and okay. uh, and the framework that's provided there. So you don't work from Studio for this. You use Mono Develop for it. Yeah, yeah. You have to use a Mac to develop iPhone applications right. on the iPad because of the way that Apple need to have uh, applications uh, signed, co-signed. Right. Um, so you do you have to have a Mac? Uh, a lot of people have said, you know, I like to use Visual Studio. So uh, some people have been using VMware, or VMware Fusion to. Uh, run Windows, run Visual Studio, and have like a share folder, so they can use Visual Studio with WeSharp or whatever to to get all that kind of 
Visual Studio that they know and love. Right. And then they can move over to the Mac side and, and build the app there. So uh, while you guys were talking, I went to uh, my iPhone to the App Store and downloaded the NDC 2010. And, th- and I'm over Wi-Fi here, and I'm, I'm noticing that it's taking quite a long time to load. Is it, are there a lot of libraries and stuff that have to get uh, sucked down into that I'm app? I'm not too or? sure. Can I, can I just see what, what apps are Oh, on? there it is. It's done now. Okay. Uh, so, so it didn't take that long. Yeah. I mean, I think the app's about 7 meg, 8 meg. So oh, that's, okay. that's pretty big in terms of an app which just displays data. And the reason is because you've got the .NET runtime and, right. you, and you can't share libraries across apps. I so, see. So it all has to be linked in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what um, there's a thing called mono.sussel, uh, which basically takes your .NET libraries um, and it will remove all the code you're not using. So if, you, if you've nice. got uh, a method in there that you're not even using, don't include it as part of the uh, runtime that you put on your app. So wow. that so dramatically reduces it. Does yeah. it granularize all the assemblies or, or stub uh, them I'm out? Not... Or That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'll let uh, Jackson after this one. Uh, yeah, it detects exactly what you need, and it will just pull in those assemblies. And obviously, it goes down the stack to so make right sure. down to the method level. Exactly. Wow. Actually, well, down through the IL. Yeah, so it has to go through the IL, see what you're okay. calling, and pull in everything. But uh, not. I mean, you're not not just saying, oh, if I make a reference to anything in this class, that class stays. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Right. Um, obviously, yeah. Then it takes in the class, but not the entire class. Just what you need. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Like the, that's, that's a good way to cut back the, the volume of things a lot. What did you say the name of this tool was? The tool would actually be um, the Assembly Linker, I believe is what it's called, but it's built on top of a library that we have called Mono.Cecil, which is a library for analyzing assemblies. Right. So that is a tool where you can basically load an assembly, say, like, give me the types, give me the methods, give right, me the we just, IL. We were just talking about that Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So that's very cool. So, so this is that's uh, what you would use if you wanted to get a. Li- Do you have any idea, like, how m- for a simple application like this, how m- much you could actually strip out? Um, I, th- I think in terms of the minimum size, it's been a while since I checked that stuff. Uh, yeah. I think I think the minimum size you get it down to is about three or four megabytes. I think. That's still pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean. The, the, the kind of the limit that you need to kind of get to is 20 megabytes because yeah. you don't want people having to connect to Wi-Fi to download your app. So anything under 20 megabytes is is fair game, I would say, in terms of size. You're obviously going to take a hit in terms of using uh, Monotouch with all the .NET libraries in there um, with, with the size of the app. But the, in terms of being able to write C-sharp code, know how C-sharp works, reuse some of your... Uh, your DLLs that you already know how to use, the time that you spend getting rid of that will probably justify, you know, a little bit more time in terms of uh, a little more time downloading an app. So it sounds like you're saying, Chris, that there's no reason not to use Monotouch. Is there? Is there? uh, If you have an Android phone, it's not a great uh, development platform. Yeah. But that's where Mono uh, Droid will come in and help you with that. So Mono Droid. Yep. So Mono Droid's going to be, I think it's going to be out. Uh, well, it's, it's in beta stages at the moment, so you can create C-sharp applications for for Android phones. So that'd be something that will probably help the people who don't want to do iPhone apps and and at least give something for the Android community as well. You got? Do you foresee a, a Windows Phone 7 
Uh, Implementation. I don't. I mean, think you, know, so. you don't work yeah. for Novell, so but no. I, well, I was like, speculation. I, I, I say perhaps. yes. <laughs> I don't work for Novell, but yes, there, there will be. No, um, I, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I think the benefits are allowing to reuse code libraries. Of course. Um, yeah. So I've got a talk tomorrow, which I'm going to be showing uh, using the Flickr net library. So it's a .NET library written to access Flickr with an API key. Uh, so I'll be able to show that uh, running on Monotouch. Uh, when Monodroid is a bit more cooked, to be able to reuse the same library and, and get Flickr on there. Mm. And because you're already running Windows Phone, there's no real reason because that, that library will still work on on Windows Phone. So right. you've, you've got Android and you've got iPhone. You've also got Windows Phone, which has already been supported by, by Microsoft. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So if they're not enforcing this rule, do you think Steve Jobs is sort of like taking it back? Like, do you, for, do you foresee them enforcing it anytime in the future? Or do you think it was just a, he just lost his mind and smoked some crack and said something that he didn't mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't think you can really ever tell what Apple are going to do, you know? Yeah. Um, you you think it's yeah no one certainly want to block you know all that stuff and and it appears that they've tried to or you know at least block flash from being on the iphone i think um i think with that side of things if you if if apple did want to block all that stuff if you've written a lot of code in c sharp for the iphone at least you'll be able to you know take that to another platform which is more open about mm. allowing you to reuse your code, so Monodroid would be perfect. So if you spend if you're spending investment time developing for the iPhone, and then they block you, at least you still got a lot of code libraries to reuse at the end of it. Jackson, what do you think? What do you think they're? Do you think that was just a, a mess up on their part? Do you think they don't mean it? Are they going to enforce it? What do you think? Uh, it's. I don't really know. I, I haven't been close enough to the situation to really answer that question. It it does feel like that, that it's sort of just a collateral thing that they just want to, you know, control their control their sandbox, like you said. But they're not controlling it. It's like they're not I think they want said, the ability to control it. Yeah, the threat is certainly there, right? I mean, in theory they're in their rights now to pull all mono touch apps out of the store. Well, they could they could do that with so something that they changed recently is that they added in a clause which said you're allowed to use interpreted code uh, for stuff like uh, Lua uh, scripting, which okay. is used a lot in uh, in game development for using uh, like EA use a lot a lot of Lua scripting in their apps, and they said actually you're allowed to use this. Uh, so how do you spell that? Lua L U A is it sp- pronounced Lua? I think it is. Sure. So it's so they've already come back on what they said and said, but you're not allowed to use any interpreted code. And said actually, you're allowed to use this, and it wouldn't surprise me if they then go on and say actually, you are allowed to use 
certain certain tools to, to de- develop apps. I think what was clear from the from the Flash uh, open letter was they don't want people to to build applications which don't look and feel right on on the device, uh, which is something that Monotouch doesn't control. I mean, you, mm. it's not you don't have Monotouch isn't Silverlight on the iPhone. You know, right. it's you have to rewrite your UI, all your code pretty much stays the same but you have to rewrite the way that you uh, view and interact with the data for a c-sharp developer who's done you know maybe even silverlight maybe asp.net mm-hmm. what's going to be the biggest barrier maybe a psychological barrier or an understanding barrier when uh, using monotouch I, I think it's all about learning a new framework is going to be the biggest barrier so because it is a framework yeah essentially so you got coca touch framework and it's it's heavily bound against it. So um, you're going to have to know about views and windows and uh, adding views onto window and navigating. And how do you learn about that stuff without the language of C Sharp to help you in documentation? I mean, everything that you're going to look at documentation-wise is going to use Objective-C. Yeah, there's, there's actually quite a good uh, amount of community uh, C Sharp uh, examples using Monotouch. So there's a okay. website that I've got up, which is uh, monotouchexamples.com. Um, and essentially all it is is kind of about five or ten lines of code snippets on how to do common things on the iPhone, like showing a progress uh, like notifier when you're downloading something. And, and is that a really good way to learn the framework? And that's a, it's, a, it's a good start to kind of understand that sort of thing. It, it doesn't uh, harm yourself to learn how to read Objective-C. Yeah. So you're not going to write it. You don't need to know how to, to make a web call, but you need to know kind of how to do other things like uh, move around views and, and navigate and things like that. Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like if I really want to learn what's going on, I, I need to look at the, yeah. the documentation, the which documentation is going to be The documentation is pretty C. good, uh, and it's pretty easy to understand what it's doing in Objective-C and move it over to C-sharp. Um, actually, uh, there's a book coming out uh, 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 by Rocks, which is iPhone development with Monotouch. Okay. So that'd be a great place to start in terms of... Because all that memory management stuff goes away in Objective-C. Yes. You get... Yeah. Right. So there's a garbage collector on, on Monotouch, which does a lot of that memory management for you as well. So obviously, you're on a mobile device. You need to be careful about using too much memory and um, use using statements as and when you can. Uh, but it definitely handles a lot of those issues for you. So how much benefit do you think I sit down a talented Objective C guy beside a talented object, uh, Mono Touch guy and yep. say, "All right, here's the app I want you guys to build." Uh, you know, how much advantage does that Mono Touch guy have? I, I think it, it obviously depends on what you what you're building. Right. I think uh, code reuse is going to be one of those where big strengths. Yeah, especially if you're doing enterprise um, applications. Is that because you're working at a higher level? I think I think it's yeah working at a higher level, and I think it's a it's a language that's been developed a bit more in terms of community involvement. I think a lot of people are getting involved with Objective C now because there's the iPhone stuff, but before then it was just for Mac apps, and I guess it kind of goes back to the Linux things like who want to write a Mac app, you know? But it's people who, who have Macs, right? So I think it's it's slowly building now. More people are doing iPhone development, um, and where I think. People doing C sharp and and that side of things obviously have a lot easier way of reusing code. A lot of uh, libraries are are C libraries um, that are used in Objective C. So uh, it's it's definitely a lower level. You don't have well in, 
in the iPhone, you didn't have regular expression um, yeah. stuff. So you had to grab in a library or write your own regular expression library. So, yeah, there's a few pains there. So um, what what are you talking about monotouch-wise here at uh, NDC? So I've, I've got uh, an introduction to monotouch, which is essentially kind of introducing uh, people to monotouch development with uh, C Sharp and .NET. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got a deep dive session, which uh, talks a little bit about how you use uh, views and view controllers to uh, build your apps and also about how you can do things on uh, on monotouch, which you can't really do with Objective-C or it doesn't make it easy to do. Mm. So calling web services, using link to JSON, mm. reusing class libraries, um, binding against uh, Objective-C libraries. So if there's Objective-C libraries people have used, you can reuse them within your application Great. as well. Do you have um, any of these sessions on video or Camtasia videos or anything like that? There's, um, th- there's, I did a session on introduction to Monotouch uh, in, in Reading about, uh, probably about three or four months ago, mm-hmm. and that's available on Vimeo. So if you just uh, search for Monotouch on Vimeo. On Vimeo? Yeah. V-I-M-I-O? Yeah. yeah. So you can probably find that on there. Yeah. Uh, these sessions should be recorded, so they'd be pretty good to Would you be interested watch. in doing some on DNR TV? Yeah, sure. All right. Yeah. Great. We'll be in touch. That cool. sounds good. And Jackson, what are you talking about here at NDC? Well, I'm actually done. I did mo- both my talks today. Uh, I did a talk that was just sort of a grab bag of Mono stuff. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting to me is our Mono.C-sharp library. Mm. And with that, you can actually evaluate C-sharp in your application. So just like in JavaScript where you have your eval function, mm. now we have an evaluate oh, nice. in C-sharp. And then building on top of that, we have a read, evaluate, print loop. So you can, it's really nice for sort of poking at your application while you're working. Right. And then my second talk was more about cloud stuff. So we're deploying to EC2, deploying to Linode, things like that. Uh, the other thing I should mention, I was, I was trying to use our, we have a package called Mono Tools, mm-hmm. which is a plugin for Visual Studio. And it allows you, you get an extra menu item and you can just go run in Mono. And if you have uh, the Windows version of Mono installed, it'll run it there. If you have a VMware image, you can run it in Linux right there in VMware. Nice. Or it can go across the wire. So I have my Linux laptop sitting there and it'll pop up a little WinForm over there. And in terms of the state of, of Mono, you is pretty much all of 2.0 implemented now? Yes. It's yeah. just a question of what's in the threes and the fours that has been put in so far. Exactly. So, I mean, that's a nice platform to work from. I think people know and trust the framework at 2.0, and then you can pick and choose from there. Yeah, and we also have a tool, another tool built on top of CSOL that will scan your application and tell you if there will be any problems. Nice. And uh, just last week, I rewrote that tool to run in Silverlight. So, Oh, very cool. It was a WinForms app, but now it runs in Silverlight does all the processing on the client side so you don't have to worry about us looking at your assembly. So it just goes through. It'll tell you if there's anything missing from Mono that you call, if there's any P invokes, because right. that's usually a problem. Yeah, it's death. And then we also have uh, to-do attributes that we use a lot. So if we see something, not quite sure if it's working properly or if we just want to stub it out to get an application to actually load, we'll put a to-do on there. So anything uh, really cool you want to talk about before we, before we wrap it up? I think those were my really cool things. <laughs> Anything ultra, ultra cool that you've seen here at NDC that you want to share? Well, unfortunately, I haven't really gotten to see anything yet. Um, mm. 
because I was doing my talks today. Hi, mom. Nothing. No, no, no. Okay. Nothing like that. How about you, Maybe Chris? Chris has some. The ice cream is good. That's ice my ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> the ice cream in the ADD room. What more do you need? Exactly. The ADD room is pretty, pretty awesome idea. Yeah. Because you know, if those rooms get full, especially I was in uh, Rob Connery's talk, and that that was game four. So the uh, the overflow rooms is a great idea, and you get the wireless headsets as well. Very futuristic. Are you are you working on a killer iPhone app yourself, Chris? Uh, I have been working on a Hansel Minute app. A so Hansel Minute app. Maybe we can app. port it over to the uh, .NET Rocks <laughs> app as well. Oh, Don't great. tell them that. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Jackson, Chris, thank you very much for joining us yeah. today. Thank you. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.